We're going to be talking about how you do automotive advertising in the face of a collapse in the market. This is AutoLine. The automotive market is flat on its back, yet automakers still have to sell the cars and trucks they make. But how do you move the metal in an environment like the one that we're in? Even more importantly, if you're an automaker that spent the last 10 months in the headlines because you're on the verge of collapse, how do you sell your story that you're open for business and do it in a credible way? Well, to get a better understanding of what the industry is doing and maybe what it should be doing, I've invited three advertising and marketing experts on the show today. Bud Liebler used to be in charge of advertising and marketing at Chrysler. Gene Halliday is the automotive writer for the magazine Advertising Age. And David Kiley, who has spent time in the advertising business, is with Business Week. We'll be critiquing some of the ads that automakers are running right now, ads they're using to sell themselves and to move the metal. Don't go away. We'll be back in a flash. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion now all about automotive advertising and marketing with an illustrious panel today starting with Gene Halliday from Advertising Age, David Kiley from Business Week, and Bud Liebler, former executive at Chrysler, now also running the Liebler Group and uh, also have the Whitney Restaurant, a place I prefer to dine at. Well, myself. thank you. Come back often. <laughs> Bud, uh, advertising in this business climate has got to be just an enormous challenge for automakers. You were there when Chrysler was going through the bankruptcy back in 79, 80, 81. How do you deal with this kind of climate from an advertising standpoint? Well, there's, there's no easy answer. I, th I think the first thing these companies have to do is go out and earn the credibility back again. And, and really, it's even worse than it was, I think, because I think now they have to, I think the American taxpayer is a little angry at the mon their money going to bail out these automakers. And so now you've got you've to prove to them that you are worth it. You've got to prove it through your product, and you're going to have people looking at you through a microscope on how you manage your company. So it isn't just advertising that's going to do it. You've got to have a complete communication strategy that includes PR and getting out there and, and sharing your vision, showing your product, and strutting your stuff. Gene, how do you see it? You know, how, how do you think automakers have got to deal with this, this collapse in the market that we've seen? I mean, GM and Chrysler, were, before their Chapter 11s, were, for, month, for a year, probably several years, were worried about the per perception. I mean, that, the, that their reality lag perception for GM was really concerned about that didn't seem, was making a little bit of progress when the market just collapsed last year. So it's, um, and in the economy, uh, there's lots of choices in this economy and that people aren't buying anyway. So they need to, advertising won't do it all. David, I just anointed you king of all advertising. <laughs> what do you do for this industry? Uh, well, one thing, uh, I, I want to say what we're lacking, unfortunately, which is we're lacking Lee Iacocca in his prime. Because I think what uh, the companies GM and Chrysler could really, really use right now 
is somebody who exudes confidence and credibility to come in front of the camera and, and tell a story and tell it like it is and tell the public why these companies and why this industry is important. We don't have that. You know, we have a very good guy, you know, in Fritz Henderson at General Motors who doesn't fit that bill. Uh, and now we have Sergio Marchione, or even, you know, if you went to Jim Press, neither one of these guys could carry off something like that. So what we're seeing is a lot of advertising being thrown up against the wall. Some of it's thoughtful. A lot of it is wallpaper. So the public is lacking that face, that personality to sort of latch on to. Um, you know, and absent that, they're still unfortunately listening to the, some of the people in Washington complaining about all this money that we've spent. We've got one of those original ads. Uh, let's run that right now. Our Chrysler LeBaron series, nobody has anything like them. Not Ford, not GM, not the imports. I challenge you to compare their quality and technology to anything that comes out of Germany or Japan. There's this sporty coupe. But you were at Chrysler when the, this Iacocca ad ran. Well, why did this thing work for the company? And, and could it work again? Could, could the industry pull off what I, David I, talked I about if David, he had the right guy? I think David's right. Um, when Lee Iacocca started to do those commercials, he was not a commercial pitchman either. He had to be dragged into doing it. He didn't want to do it. By the time we were finished, we couldn't keep him off the air. Drag right? him you know, away from the cameras. But, but when we started, he wasn't particularly good at it. And he was very unsure of himself. I think what did it for Lee was that... Like, like you just said, he's the guy who actually, he stood there and he delivered the message, but then he had to go back to the office and deliver. He had to deliver on the products, he had to deliver on the, the profits, he had to deliver the whole package as he went, and that gave him the credibility. And as he did it, and as he grew in stature, his confidence grew in, in front of a camera. And, you know, I'll tell you, but in the early... he was an excellent public speaker. Excellent general. public speaker, yeah. Well, but he, Maybe the best speaker of, I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I think he probably wasn't. He worked very, very, very hard at it. If he was giving a speech, he was literally writing notes on the speech until two seconds before he went up. He would not give a speech. He wouldn't eat a meal before he gave a speech. If it was a dinner or something, he was in another room somewhere. You'd introduce him, boom, out he'd come. Um, but he did have that... Um, he had such a heart and a passion for what he was doing, and that came through all the time. You know, it's there too bad that... There isn't anyone, I don't think... There's here one the guy, but you can't use him in advertising. Who's that? It's Obama. I mean, to me, Obama has actually done more to get people to take a fresher look at uh, General Motors and Chrysler and Ford in the last six months than, than probably anybody else. And what's really interesting, I think, um, is that the Detroit automakers are particularly weak with Gen Y, uh, 20 to 32-year-olds, which is a big problem because they're as bigger or larger than the baby boomers. Obama is heavily invested in these companies succeeding. He's also extremely popular with Gen Y. And I'm wondering over the next couple of years if you're not going to see his people kind of you know, push him out in the public a little more to not Can't push him in the public. Well, but I'm saying no, no, no. <laughs> what I'm saying is, but to but to be a, a sustained booster of Detroit uh, over the next you know couple of years, and maybe if he does it the right way, that will get the Gen Y people much more so than the advertising we're looking at because. Advertising, television advertising, doesn't cut much ice anymore. Uh, you know, it's social networking, it's online stuff, and and uh, and and good PR. You know, one thing I was going to quickly mention: big difference in strategies between General Motors and Chrysler right now. 
GM has done the strategy that they will talk to anybody right now. If you are the third newspaper in Dubuque and you call General Motors, you will get an answer and you will get an executive to talk to you. Chrysler completely the other way. They have gone, you know, insulated. They have cut access to executives off. They have gone into hiding into witness protection, which, you know, as a taxpayer, I got to tell you, you know, besides being a member of the media, is tiresome. Dave, that's, that's really upside down from the way it used to be, number yeah. one. But number two, I think some of that could have been brought on by Cerberus. And Cerberus was such a private company, and the last thing Cerberus ever wanted was any spotlight shining on them. Now, Cerberus is out, and Marchione and company no, it, are it's in. Changed since uh, and I think, I think Fiat is going to open it up a little bit it's more. It's changed since they came out of Chapter 11 with Fiat. They were much more open. During, even during the Chapter 11, I, I felt that they um, were. Maybe more open than when Cerberus owned them, but the, the bar was pretty low. And now, it, <laughs> and now the gates are closed. Well, well part right. of it, too, is they've had this huge management upheaval. They've put a lot of new people in place, especially right. running their brands. These guys have no experience, with the exception of one, the guy running Dodge, Mike Akavitti, you know, but even now he's got a whole new job, really, even though it's still the Dodge division, now he's got all these. So what they've told me is, hey, let's let these guys learn what they're doing, then we'll let you have uh, at them. But but I wanted to get to the GM ad, Gene. I wanted to uh, talk to you about this, this reinvention. Let's run a little bit of that right now. Reinvention is the only way we can fix this, and fix it we will. So here's what the new GM is going to be. Fewer, stronger brands, fewer, stronger models, greater efficiencies. Gene, what do you make of this, uh, of GM coming out and saying, hey, we're General Motors and we were down and, you know, we used to have all these divisions and now we have less. And what do you make of this message that they're trying to convey? I actually like it. I think it's pretty honest and um, a little bit of mea culpa in there. Uh, much more honest than Chrysler's Chapter 11 advertising, I feel. Um, will it move the needle? I mean, I don't think it, it's, it's, it's a hard needle to move, um, I, but I think they needed to do it. Really? I, see, David, to me, General Motors, any money it spends at all on advertising the letters GM, to me, is money down the drain. I can't go into a dealership and buy a GM. I can buy a Chevy, a Cadillac, a Buick, a GMC. Why don't you spend the money on that I think, instead of GM? I, I think that's what you are going to say. I think this is a very transitional campaign, really just designed to go for a couple of weeks. I noticed uh, that uh, they went from advertising General Motors um, on National Public Radio, for example, around the Volt messaging to just Chevy and Chevy Volt, and and GM in the in the messaging seemed to fade uh, for a while, and that's a particular audience, NPR, and but I think that's what you are going to see. In fact, uh, uh, we just did at uh, at Business Week a poll with the CMO Club, and we what's we did, the CMO Club? It's an organization of. See, hundreds of CMOs, chief marketing officers, and we got about 110 of them to respond, should GM change its name? And I was very surprised, frankly, to see over 80% say no, that they think changing the name. Some suggestions were out there like call it Chevrolet Motors or, or something like that, or just, you know, just a, a new name altogether to get GM off the pages and off the letterhead and everything else. But uh, these are a lot of pros, and they seem to think, no, you got to keep with what's familiar with people, so they trust it. You know, I, 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 no, I, I agree with the CMOs, and I, I also think that even though you can't sell a GM, each of these brands has to have a parent behind it. There has to be some support. There has to be some confidence 
out there among the consumers that there's something here supporting a Chevrolet or a Buick or, or whatever it is. So I think there is some value to doing the GM advertising. I agree it should be short. I also agree, uh, Gene, with your point uh, about the honesty of that campaign and the mea culpas. I think they actually went a little too far on the mea culpas early on. I thought it was too much, enough already. Just tell me what you're doing. Okay, I screwed up a couple years ago, or maybe for a lot of years, but now I'm here and this is what I'm doing. Let's talk about what we're doing going forward. Let's not worry so much about the past. It's really hard for them <coughs> at this point because they are marketing under the microscope. No matter what they do, either yes. company is going to be bad or it's going to be good. Everybody has an opinion, and it's very difficult. Um, but even Mark Lenave said on your show, um, he doesn't believe in marketing GM. And I think they should just leave it alone, yeah. really. Yeah. And the, yeah, the four core brand. Get it out and get it over it. with. Right. GM that, is not a brand. I almost got the feeling that that was not Mark's decision to advertise GM, that that, that order came from above. But let's contrast the GM approach to the, the Chrysler approach. Let's run that uh, Chrysler corporate ad right now. At Chrysler, we build Viewmasters. We build security cameras. We build troop transports. David, what do you think of this? Of we build, we build this, we build that. What, what do you think of how Chrysler is advertising? Again, I, I would hope that it's transitional. Um, I think it is a good thing during Chapter 11, coming out of Chapter 11, to remind people of what you do and what you've done and all of that kind of thing. But but they need to move on with some coherent um, brand ideas, which can be very difficult because the thing that's dogging Chrysler, I mean really dogging them, is that you know, 88, 90% of people do all their research before buying a new car on the internet. Well, you go to the internet, what do you find? You find that you know, Consumer Reports doesn't recommend any Chrysler vehicles. And it's, it's a terrible anchor around their neck as they're trying to come out of this thing. And um, I don't think they know exactly yet where they're going to take Jeep and Dodge and Chrysler as a market. I don't think, you know, and then they have to figure out what they're going to do with these Fiat vehicles and selling the Fiat 500 and whether or not the Chrysler brand is going to exist. There's so much in transition. This is all they got, you know, is this is what we build and this is where we've been and, and, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, they're going with what they got, but they have got to come up with some coherent communication strategy at Chrysler, not just an ad strategy, but a really wide encompassing social networking, public relations, all of that stuff working to their benefit, which they do not have right now. As I said it earlier, I think, I, I think they have to get out and share the vision. And obviously, they have a vision for that company. And I think, too, that if you can show the product, share the product a little, do a little bit of teasing to say, hey, there is something coming. It is really worthwhile. It is good stuff. Get off the, the problems of the, the lack of quality that they have. I used to say, and I, and I really meant it, despite our earlier conversation about consumer reports, whether the, whether the ratings are good, bad, or indifferent, I used to say, you give me the consumer reports ratings every year, I'll give you my advertising budget. So, I mean, I think the issue you raise is a huge issue for Chrysler. And I would like to see that turned around. How would you fight that? I mean, because uh, I have big problems with the way Consumer Reports rates the quality of cars. Not their car tests. I no. think they do a very good job of that. But the way they rate their quality, I, I think, is not statistically supportable. But how, do, how would you break through, or how can you break through? I don't know how you break through. You're not going to change Consumer Reports. And they've been pretty successful at what they do for a, for a long time. And they have an awful lot of people who believe in them. 
So you're not going to do it that way. I think you just have to go out and pound your own story, get journalists in the car. I do believe the public relations side has a big piece of it. Get journalists in the car, let them drive it for themselves, let them feel it and, and, and put it through its paces. And, you know, some of, those, some of those quality differentials are, you know, that much. And even the best driver isn't really going to notice it. I mean, whether it's one-tenth of a trip to a dealer over 18 months, how the hell are you going to measure that? Right. Well, let's not lay it off all on Consumer Reports because J.D. Power, which, full disclosure, is a sister company in Business Week, uh, doesn't rate Chrysler vehicles any higher than Consumer Reports does. I mean, some of the numbers I've seen from them on, on Chrysler's current models are awful. Um, Awful's so. relative, you know, and again, I have a problem with the J.D. Power report, too, because every three years or so, a lot so, of problems. Well, I, <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact, but they change the report every three years. So if I go and say, hey, guess what, Chrysler's where Toyota was five years ago, they go, oh, no, 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 we've changed the report, that's not comparable. Well, why are you changing this stuff? I mean, isn't the value to see where you've, you've come from and where you're going? I think they change it just so they can keep on selling reports because if the word gets out that Chrysler's where Toyota was five years ago, no one's going to buy the reports anymore. I also think there's a certain amount of, you know, you do a report and a methodology for a while and you, you do find ways to improve it. And so improving it means changing it. And you do run into, uh, you know, tough comparables. But I don't think that diminishes, I've never found that it diminishes the value of the report that comes out in any given year because that does give you a snapshot of where these brands are relative to one another, which is really what the consumer, the consumer doesn't care where Chrysler is today versus five years ago. The consumer cares this year when they're looking at the rating where Toyota is relative to Suzuki or Toyota is relative to Land Rover. I mean, so within well, you know, a year, it's still As an valid. example, yeah. Toyota came out ahead of Ford. Ford had 102 defects for every 100 vehicles. Toyota had 101 defects. Mm -hmm. That's one defect right. per 100 vehicles. Right. Which means per any one vehicle, Toyota is 0.01 better than Ford. Right. Toyota's 0.02 better than Ford. I'm telling you, you can't measure a fraction of a defect. I, I, well, I agree that's with, noise in the system. But I agree with you. Say, that's, how much yeah. does it matter, too, um, when you look at the report? Mini was at the bottom mm -hmm. of, of, yeah. of Consumer Reports or J.D. Power for mm -hmm. initial quality. People love their minis. If you did, did say mini is a smash success story, so, and that's I a good position. That, that's a great point. They're at the bottom. Yes. So Chrysler's above them. How come Chrysler's that's not that, selling better than that, Mini? Well, because Chrysler doesn't have well, the unique have product yeah. that that Mini has. Mini Mini is is really an outlier. It's such a unique design, such an emotional design. But let me tell you, you talk to Mini owners who have had their cars for four or five years, and they'll tell you they're got problems. They do. And they'll also <laughs> tell you, if you ask them, would you buy another one? Most of them will say, yeah, I will. All right, because when it's on they'll the road, it. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gene, in fact, speaking of Mini, there's this ad out right now of the Suzuki SX4 comparing itself to the Mini. Let, let, let's run that ad, and then I want to ask you about that. The Suzuki SX4 versus the Mini. The Suzuki SX4 has more horsepower than the Mini, 25 more horsepower. The SX4 offers available all-wheel drive, the Mini doesn't. And, and what I want to ask you is what most everybody says is, oh, it's a bonehead move to compare your product to somebody else's because what you're really doing is advertising their product for free for them. But what do you make of this? I generally don't like comparative advertising and agree with that school of thought, but this is so hilarious with the spoofy cape and um, Suzuki, you know, what have they got to lose, really? I mean, they, they're, a con they're a contender Their sales brand. were down 80% last yeah. month. I actually like this. <laughs> they have nothing to lose, I guess, right? I like this. Yeah. I like it, too. I, 
and, and the reason is, Suzuki's one of those, those brands, you just wonder what they're thinking year to year. I mean, they make yeah. decent product throughout the company, motorcycles, ATVs, and all this. Couple of their cars, but man, they are the gang that couldn't shoot straight on styling in, in, and in this country. In this in, country, in other countries in this with country. high gasoline prices, they do well. Right. In terms of the portfolio of products that they put out year after year, I like this ad for two two reasons. One, it's it's the SX4, which to me is really the best, most competitive vehicle I like it, they actually. have. Yeah, I do like it. Man, I plowed through a foot of snow in Ann Arbor with that thing, and I get it, I was impressed. But it's the first ad for Suzuki that I actually took notice of in the last 10 years. And I thought, good for you, finally. I mean, maybe not coincidentally, they have a new ad agency that came up with a, 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 a good idea. Um, uh, but I, I like that. I like the, the, the chutzpah. You know, comparison advertising, I don't know how long it's been around. I know at least since Walter P. Chrysler's days, back in the 20s and 30s. And he did consider all three, Ford, Chevrolet, Plymouth, Plymouth. Um, and DeSoto. And, well, yeah. But, but the interesting thing is when you have a product like Suzuki, which is not as well known, and you do comparison advertising, you're, you're elevating your brand to get it up with much better known brands, and it's, it's, getting, it's buying you consideration. I mean, I'm a believer that all advertising does is create awareness. Mm -hmm. I don't think it sells products when you're talking about cars. It, it creates awareness. And he noticed that ad for the yeah. first ad in 10 years. But does it, I, I, I agree if the comparison is realistic. I know back in your day, you guys were comparing some Chrysler products to BMWs. Well, I didn't never think that. <laughs> I never thought that. I, that was one ad that I, I fought Mr. Bid, Bidwell on. It was a very dramatic ad with yes. the cars going off the aircraft carrier in 1986. Oh my God, I'm dating myself. Yeah. But anyway, and the ad worked, but it had zero credibility. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's terrible. why does a Suzuki SX4, a car that I like, does it really stack up against a Mini? I'm not so sure. It you know, from a styling and, and cultural touchstone point, no, it doesn't. But I, I like uh, Bud's analysis. It, it puts a, a relatively unknown product on the screen with a really well-known product. And I think that at least gets people, the, the whole game, I think, these days is to, is to create an impression so somebody has a reason to look it up on the Internet. You know, and that's, what they're, that's the measurement of success. And, and real quick, Gene, here, uh, Suzuki is also giving away free gasoline. You get a debit card uh, that's worth about 300 bucks or close to that. Uh, what do you think of this idea of giving away free gas? Well, it didn't work for Chrysler last summer. I, I'm not sure that's the way to go. I mean, in terms of uh, promoting your brand, I think it's better to promote your brand. But is it... Uh, do you need that kind of gimmick to get people in the showroom and... Yes, I think you do. And when you say it didn't work for Chrysler, I think you're right. It didn't work because very few people took that offer, but it did bring people into the showroom. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it was very timely. It's sort of like Hyundai's, you know, income protection plan. I mean, oh, I might lose my job, but I can keep my car for a year. Well, that gets my attention. In fact, we're out of time, but I do want to talk about that. So we're going to leave the cameras rolling. You can join us on our website to catch what we're about to talk about. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. As I mentioned, we're going to run the cameras and continue the conversation about advertising in the auto industry. You can watch that right now at our website, AutolineDetroit.tv. And if you need more than a weekly dose of industry information, check out AutolineDaily.com. It's a six-minute daily webcast of what's going on in the global automotive industry. Then on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., it's time for AutoLine After Hours, the first 
live webcast dedicated to the automotive industry. Join me and Peter DeLorenzo, the publisher of AutoExtremist.com, for the most unlikely show about the auto industry. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.